if you're not wearing glasses that are so strong that everything is just crystal clear no matter what, like if you have normal human natural vision and you're paying attention to it, you will notice that a bad night of sleep, stress, right? Like you lot people losing their jobs, especially lately. I've been getting a lot of emails, people like, I'm super stressed, lost my job. My eyesight is X amount worse now. Your vision is very strongly correlated to your whole experience and environment. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast would literally not be possible without the support of our sponsor, Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks offers a complete range of evidence-backed blue light blocking glasses to suit your every need, and they also look really cool. Their signature sleep lenses block 100% of the blue and green light from the 400 to 550 nanometer range, giving you optimal melatonin release and the best sleep ever. They also have daytime blue light glasses for when you're working on a computer or recording a podcast like this. Often I use the yellow lenses because I don't want it to get too dark and I don't want to get too tired. I don't want to produce too much melatonin because I need to work here in the studio on the computer. So I kind of have like different blue blocks for all different times of the day. But after say eight, nine o'clock at night, then I'm rocking the darker kind of amber color lenses in the 550 range because I want to get tired and start winding down and going to sleep. They offer a full range of non-prescription, prescription and readers with free worldwide shipping. They also have a really cool service where you can send in your own frames, which is dope. So you might have some great sunglasses, which I don't recommend wearing personally. It's a whole other topic. Uh, I don't wear sunglasses myself, but I have turned some of my other sunglasses into blue blockers, which is really cool. So I would highly recommend if you care about your sleep and you want some good looking blue blocking eyewear to protect yourself from computers and lights at night and all that kind of stuff, get yourself over to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. And when you get there, at checkout, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off. When it comes to biohacking my daily routine, one thing I always include is red light therapy from Juve. You know I talk about them all the time because I use them every day. That's J-O-O-V-V. I'm really stoked right now because they just launched their next generation of devices and they've made some massive upgrades to what was already the best red light therapy system on the market, in my humble opinion. They've upgraded the setup for the new devices with quick, easy mounting options, so the new Juve can fit just about anywhere. Some people like me like to use the Juve lights at night to wind down from the day, so that's why they included a new ambient mode for a calming, lower-intensity light at night. That's way healthier than all the blue light from all of our devices and screens, and it's more in alignment with your natural circadian rhythms. Additionally, Juve's new units are sleeker and up to 25% lighter with all the same power as before. And they've also intensified their coverage area so you can stand as much as three times further away from the device and still get the recommended dosage. 
Plus, the new devices include some really cool features like Recovery Plus Mode, which utilizes pulsing technology to give your cells an extra boost after a workout with the rejuvenating near-infrared light. If you're looking to get a new Juve device for your home, I've got some exciting news. Just go to juve.com slash luke, then use the code luke, and you'll get an exclusive discount on Juve's newest devices. Now, exclusions apply limited time only. So hurry up and get over to juve.com slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com slash Luke. And the code is Luke. This is episode 314 of the Lifestylist podcast, Ending Myopia, Your Eyes Aren't Broken and How to Fix Them with Jake Steiner. Now there's going to be a lot of information shared, many links, etc. during the course of this conversation. So if you're someone who finds yourself wanting to take notes and remember things throughout the course of these podcasts, I highly encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. Now I know what you're thinking. I don't want another goddamn email. Well, my emails are highly valuable because they contain every link and bullet point discussed in each and every podcast, including this one. It's really easy to sign up. Here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com slash newsletter. Promise not to spam you. If you don't want to use a browser, you can always just send me a text. You can text the word lifestylist to the number 44222 on any US phone. That's one word, lifestylist to the number 44222. And each and every Tuesday and sometimes Friday, you'll get an email with all of these amazing show notes that my team at Create Media puts together for you, the listener. Okay, here we go. Now, this show is definitely one that's close to my heart as my vision was damaged by living under two cell towers for three years unknowingly. And I started to really have to work on my eyes. So I found Jake's work years ago and have quite frankly been procrastinating putting the work in to fix my eyes. So I wear my glasses as little as possible. But frankly, if I'm across from a street sign... (laughs) Uh, you know, one light away, it's difficult to read and I want to fix it. So this is an inspiration to me uh, to really put some work in to restore my vision naturally. And if you're someone who suffers from myopia, this one is for you. And if your eyes are perfect and you have 20-20 vision, then definitely share this with a friend. Here's a bit about our guest, Jake. 20 years ago, Jake Steiner began a journey to reverse his minus 5.00 diopter myopia. It took a great deal of experimenting and trial and error to apply theoretical concepts found in clinical journals and peer-reviewed studies, though he eventually managed to get his vision back to its natural 2020 eyesight, which is incredible. I mean, that's really jacked up eyes. I think I got a minus 1.0 or something like that, and it's not that bad, but still bad enough to want to fix. Now, over the years, he cataloged the many tools, resources, and experience that made his myopia recovery a reality. Now he's on a mission to help end myopia forever and for you if you have this issue. Here are just a few of the nuggets we cover in this interview. The various problems with vision and which of them are reversible, the difference between being nearsighted and farsighted and what causes both, the macular degeneration dilemma, the blue light damage epidemic, the downside of LED and light flicker, the best settings to use on your phone and computer to reduce eye strain, a critique of the Bates method of vision restoration, addiction to prescription glasses and how to wean yourself off, supplements that help your eyesight, stem cells, peptides, and other cutting-edge treatments, why minus lenses might help your vision, and finally, the end myopia movement and how Jake has encouraged legions of people to ditch their RX glasses and contacts. So here we go. 
in this eye-opening conversation with Jake Steiner. Jake Steiner, we finally got you on the Lifestylist podcast, dude. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, for those listening, uh, I, I've known Jake online for God, two or three years now, and we've tried to connect. And uh, he is a uh, kind of a world traveler and is in all these different countries in Asia and hard to pin down. And now because of the, uh, you know, the travel restrictions, he's, you know, fortunately for him, stuck on a beautiful beach in Thailand. So here we are, man. Welcome back. Yeah, it's great to finally make it onto your podcast. Yeah, I'm stoked, dude. So let's just start out. I mean, everyone listening would have heard the intro and know that we're going to be talking about myopia uh, specifically and just how to correct your vision and dispelling some of the myths around vision problems in general. But perhaps start with your origin story of you know, how old were you when you started wearing glasses? What was that like? And what led you to start seeking alternative ways to get rid of your glasses? Sure. So... I started wearing glasses in my early teens. Uh, I, I was growing up in Germany. My parents were physicians. They sent me to their friend who was an optometrist. Optometrist said I needed glasses. Kind of the regular story back in that time for a lot of kids. Uh, I enjoyed wearing glasses. I liked the ritual. I liked, I liked new frames. I liked going to the thing, to the place. I, I liked the attention as a kid. I liked going outside and seeing that much more clearly every time. Um, that continued on and it was pretty much every year or two thereabouts that we went back and every time I needed stronger glasses that eventually stopped progressing when I stopped going to the optometrist as I was getting older. At some point I was traveling. I was actually traveling. I was in Bangkok. It was a nighttime moment where I was calling for a taxi and they have the little lights, red and green lights, and I couldn't tell whether the red light was on or the green light was on with my glass at the time. So I went to the optometrist there. They said that I needed strong glasses. At that point, my glasses were so thick. And even though I just told the story in the intro, I can tell it time and time again, because every time I think of just the thickness was just like a real handicap. You know, there's, there's these really thin lenses that you can buy that are, that are more expensive, but that kind of mask the problem. But if you just get regular lenses, they get really thick. My eyes look tiny behind those lenses. Single guy with a... If you're watching this, you can see the already questionable face. Imagine this with tiny beady eyes on top of it. So you're laughing, but I'm serious. It's just not not any good. And then then I, I went off on this journey where I started asking questions to optometrists. I was traveling a lot. It was really interesting to ask optometrists in different countries. Like... Russian optometrists, Italian optometrists versus American optometrists had very different answers to my questions. Uh, I started reading biology books because back then the internet wasn't what it is now. And eventually got back to the point where now I have 20-20 eyesight with no vision correction. Damn, I'm jealous, dude. And so your eyes, if you're wearing these thick, you know, Coke bottle glasses, like your your vision was really jacked up. And to get back to 2020 without doing any kind of surgery or anything invasive or dramatic like that. That's pretty crazy. I don't think many people even consider that to be a possibility, uh, not the least of whom being professionals in the optometry field, right? Yeah. So one thing is 
in hindsight, knowing what I know now, it is incredibly straightforward to reverse your myopia. It's basically just playing the tape in reverse of how your myopia increased. You, I'm putting it really simply. You just decrease it back the same way. Your eye will readjust to the low adopters and your vision will be fine. The problem with the professionals is they're professionals at selling lenses. That's what they're taught in school. And I'm not trying to be disparaging to, to optometrists, but basically is they're taught how to measure your eyesight and sell your glasses. And their business model, what their livelihood depends on in most cases, is selling glasses. So they, they have a, a fundamentally completely different outlook. They're not trying to fix your eyes. They're trying to address the immediate problem. And so what, what was some of the first information that you uncovered and started to try out? Were there, was there a period of trial and error where you tried to do eye exercises or any of these other things that you find? Well, I guess you, you know, as you said, that wasn't online, but did you go down any other rabbit holes that ended up not to lead to the fruition of restoring your vision that you eventually found? Yeah, I went down every rabbit hole. Uh, and this was back in the days when, when people went to libraries. So I went to a library and I, I took out books. I bought books. All the Bates Method stuff, I exercises I tried. I remember one main thing that got me off that whole track, because it wasn't working for me, is I would ask optometrists what caused this. And a common answer was it's genetic. And I'm like, how is, it, how is it that we didn't need glasses 50 years ago, right? Or 100 years ago? I mean, nobody was wearing glasses. So were people stumbling around, running into rocks at the time? How can a genetic thing just have happened so very recently? And whenever I would dig into the question of how is this genetic, my parents don't wear glasses, my grandparents don't wear glasses, nobody had an answer. So the genetic thing started to sound like a cop-out. And that's what really got me off the Bates method track and into reading vision biology books. What for, for, I've always been curious, and I've I've poked around a little online, but what is the basic premise of the Bates method? Like, what are the exercises that are suggested to do? That is a that is a great question. Doctor William Bates, hundred years ago, had a hunch. This was in a time where we didn't understand vision biology very well at all. And he had this idea that it's the close-up vision that is messing up your eyes. And he was exactly correct about that. And he basically said that uh, things like palming and many kind of exercises to relax your eyes. And relaxing your eyes is basically relaxing a muscle in your eye. It's called the ciliary muscle, the focusing muscle that, as he correctly surmised, gets a spasm when you look at close-up objects for too long. So his fix for myopia basically was relax your eyes and get out of close-up. Now, this was in a time where there were no computers, there were no phone screens. Most people weren't spending that much time looking up close. Like Education wasn't what it is today. So it was much less of a problem. And generally, people weren't wearing multiple adopters of lenses. So at his time, his approach was a, a brilliant direction. And if optometry would have adopted this idea of looking at the cause, today we would live in a totally different world. We wouldn't live in a world where people wear lenses regularly. There would be much more narrative of we need to correct the, the initial problem. That didn't happen. Bates got kicked out. 
Bates was silenced, that went away. And for some reason, that became a really popular online narrative, as many things are today. The problem, though, is Bates' method works for very low myopia, not when you're already wearing strong glasses, because those people say, throw away your glasses and all that, which doesn't work with multiple adopters, and environments where you're not addicted to your smartphone. So it's a super cool idea. It was on the right track 100 years ago, but today when it's brought up, they're still using a 100-year-old method that's not that applicable. So if this myopia fundamentally at its core stems from spending too much time looking at things up close, and now obviously, I mean, I'm on a Zoom call with you for however long we're on today, and I'm, you know, you're, I want to focus on your face. I can't look up at, you know, the sky or the wall uh, if I want to have a meaningful conversation. So if Bates was uncovering this a hundred years ago and there, there did exist at that point, um, some, you know, um, uh, you know, abundant cases of myopia around the world were, were people getting it from, you know, working in a factory or even going back further, would, would people have developed this, this eye spasm or this kind of locking of the eye or the elongation of the eye from weaving baskets or chipping arrowheads or doing something repetitively all day long that's up close? Yes. And actually, glasses were invented, arguably, some say 16th century, some say 13th century, for monks, because the only people that had myopia that we know of had myopia back in the day were monks. And back in that day, the only people who knew how to read were monks. And there was a lot of close-up time, a lot of reading, a lot of reading in bad light, which is also not great for your eyes. So they would sit next to a candle, right, close to pages, reading and writing. Monks got myopia back in the day, but it was only monks. And the more that prevalence of close-up increased, the more myopia increased also. Got it. And so with some of these other exercises, you mentioned um, palming. So that's where you would cover up one eye and attempt to read things or operate using one eye or um, sometimes, for example, when my eyes feel strained and this has not improved my vision as far as I can tell, but I I normally meditate with a really good eye mask. It's called a, um, what the hell is it called? Mindfold. It's a really good big blackout mask. And at the end of my meditations, typically I'll open my eyes for a while and try to focus on the darkness where there's nothing to focus on. And I find that when I do that, it kind of eases the strain on my eyes. But as I said, it hasn't improved them, uh, notably. So that kind of uh, methodology has only been effective for a few people then, um, but not widespread or, or not with someone like you that had you know, a really kind of severe case of myopia and now is 2020. Is that, I mean, I guess I'm wondering is like, why has something like the Bates method and these different um, exercises persisted and not just kind of withered away online? Are they working for some people that aren't that bad off or what? So my take on all of that stuff, for one, is it doesn't really address the problem very well as as it stands today. But the bigger issue is, Whenever I hear exercise, I'm already know it's not going to work because <laughs> because it's 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 not. You need a habit change for this kind of thing. Because for example, you can improve your eyesight by about a doctor a year, right? So I had five doctors, so that's at least five years. And 
with our lifestyles, we have plenty of things going on. Most people can't even get just regular gym exercise together. Exercising your eyes on top of that regularly enough and consistently enough just isn't feasible for most people. If you were super serious about Bates Method, you would be taking the really hard way, but you could improve your eyesight. Also, the, the, that ciliary muscle spasm that you get, it's, by the way, it's called pseudomyopia. And if you're interested in the clinical science, scholar.google.com, I mentioned endlessly on the website. If you want to get away from Google and just all the nonsense that people get up there in search engines, scholar.google.com only has peer-reviewed clinical science. So it's like a separate search engine. If you type in pseudomyopia in there, you're going to get tens of thousands of search results. And pseudomyopia basically means not actual myopia. Uh, another keyword on there is near-induced transient myopia, which is exactly what it sounds like. Near-induced, meaning caused by near vision, and transient, meaning temporary. So that's that, that early myopia where your muscle is just spasmed. So if you got really serious about Bates and you had low myopia, or even if you had higher myopia, you're initially going to get some results just from doing these exercises that help you relax that muscle temporarily. So you could improve as much of a diopter in a relatively short period of time and be really excited about it long enough to write 10 posts on the internet, right? And that propagates the Bates method thing. But I get so much email from people who say they tried it and ultimately, the, the goal of getting back to 2020 doesn't happen for most people. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And I, I'm assuming that would be the same for uh, these pinhole glasses. If I'm not mistaken, I might have even emailed you a couple of years ago because <laughs> I read somewhere online, you know, Dr. Google, that I was like, oh, these pinhole glasses. And so I was like wearing these stupid glasses around for a while. And you, you probably wouldn't remember if I did email you, but... Eventually, I you know was bumping into things too often, and so I abandoned um, wearing these pinhole glasses. I would even wear them on the freeway sometimes. Don't tell the T. Uh, just <laughs> who was the rapper? Who was the guy? Didn't some guy popularize these? Right, who was it? I forget who it is, but yeah, they they have been in vogue under a different name. But I think my my theory there was like I'm going to use these pinhole glasses and and drive with my vision fixed on as. A, 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 as far distance as I possibly can. And it, it's strange, but you can actually see with them, which is weird. But of course, the, that didn't work. Um, would that be kind of within the same methodology of having to do some kind of eye exercises to improve things? Yeah, it, 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 the practical aspect of this for me personally, and now for a, a larger group of people is, is this something you can do in your regular life without wearing pinhole glasses on the highway, right? Because how many people are going to honestly do this or do eye exercises? It's just not a high enough priority. If you're talking about going bald, right? Or having muscles or something that's more vanity-based or pain-based, people will go through the effort. But eyesight is fixable enough with LASIK, with glasses, with contact lenses that the amount of effort somebody will invest is going to be relatively lower, as was mine. So for me, the thing was, I'm only going to do a thing that, that I can make a habit, especially in hindsight. You know? And in hindsight, it's also what got me off of all these things in part was I started looking at causality. And people yell at me a lot about this because they say, you're taking the long way, just give me the steps. But you're going to chase down the next 
you know, pinhole glasses thing till you understand the basic biology and till you understand why this stuff, all of this stuff is not going to work. Like what I just started with, the pseudomyopia thing, that's how your myopia started. So when you first, the first time you go to the optometrist and you get the first pair of glasses, you're getting a fix for something that is not being addressed. That muscle spasm persists and they're just giving you glasses to hide the symptom. Right? So the more you understand about the underlying biology, the less you're going to get confused by weird approaches that you find online. So when it comes to true myopia versus pseudomyopia, are there some people that, well, I guess not, it's not genetic, but are there some people whose eyes actually have something wrong with them or have been damaged and they have true myopia that's just never fixable? And then there's another group of people that can change their habits and behavior and use a methodology like the one that you've uh, discovered to reverse it? In other words, is there myopia that's real and not reversible or is all of it fixable to some degree? It, there's absolutely real myopia and, and that I don't have any answers to. For example, the lens in front of your eyes is responsible for 70% or so of refraction. So if there's something wrong with the curvature of that lens and you have myopia because of that, that your biology wasn't able to correct, neither can I or neither can you with things I might suggest. Also, eye biology is actually really interesting. When you're a baby, you're farsighted, you're hyperopic. All babies start out not being able to see clearly up close or most babies as far as we know. And the reason for that is the eyeball itself the retina where your visual signal is processed is in the back of the eyeball and the lens we just mentioned is in the front and the space in between is kind of malleable. The eyeball changes in length throughout your life. It's not a growing thing, it's an adjustment that continues happening. And the goal of the, the eye is to get the light to focus exactly in the back of the eye on the retina. And there's a feedback mechanism in the eye Again, in Google Scholar, you can look all that up. It's fascinating that continues adjusting the length so the light focuses exactly on the retina. And that happens all the time. A measurable distance can, a measurable change in the distance in the length of your eye can be measured in as little as 60 minutes. So within one hour, your eye can change its length enough that we can measure it based on refraction. So as a baby, your eyeball is too short. And then through this mechanism of feedback, the eye elongates until the child can see clearly near and far. That's, that's where the whole thing starts out. And then for most, 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 most of us, myopia is the eyeball has elongated to where the light no longer focuses on the retina. And the eyeball has elongated because we're wearing glasses. That kind of starts off the rabbit hole of how that initial fix that hides the ciliary spasm. You put on those glasses, now you can see perfectly clearly for a while. But behind the scenes, your eye is saying, wait a minute, the light is focusing incorrectly on my retina now. And that feedback mechanism now starts adjusting your eye to get longer to account for the glasses. Right? That's why after a year or two, the glasses aren't strong enough anymore and you need newer, stronger ones because your eye is always actively adjusting itself not understanding that there's a lens in front of your eyes that's, that's changing things. So if you were to uh, dissect a cadaver 
one that had perfect 2020 vision and one that had pretty severe pseudomyopia, would you actually find a different shape eyeball? Does it, in other words, does like the physical form change and, and then it's stuck there kind of relatively permanently? Or is it something that's always fluctuating? It's always fluctuating. And actually, you don't even need to wait till you die and dissect somebody. There's equipment that can measure the length of the eyeball. Uh, it's used, usually used before intraocular surgery, like when they implant lenses in your eyes. But you can go to an ophthalmologist and get your eyeball length measured today. And yes, that, that, that length varies. And that doesn't just go in one direction. That's why the word growing is the wrong word. It's, it's an adjustment. And it will shorten also over time. And there's clinical studies showing this going in both directions. So your eyeball will shorten, your eyeball will elongate. There's a ton of animal studies, but there's also human studies that show that this axial length, what you were saying there a moment ago, it doesn't get stuck at this particular length. The eye will also shorten the same way it elongates, that we, which this is what makes myopia reversible. That's interesting because I've observed uh, this phenomena that's repeatable and consistent. And that is if I get up in the morning and I'm going to, I'm going to find my, uh, my prescription at some point and tell you what my numbers were last year when I last checked them. But if I get up in the morning and I start looking at my phone before I go outside and look at the horizon or get some bright natural sunlight in my eyes, uh, say I just get cracked out and like addicted to my phone for the first hour and I'm doing emails and social media and stuff, which I avoid whenever possible. Uh, I do notice that then when I go outside and try to see something in the distance, whether it be a license plate, a couple cars up or a street sign or something like that, my eyes are noticeably worse when I've started the day looking at up close stuff. Does that make sense in your paradigm? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Is So the ciliary muscle shapes the lens in your eye to move where the light focuses on your retina. So this is like a, the focus in a camera, basically, just a little bit more sophisticated. And it's a circular muscle. And the closer you look at something, the more that muscle tightens up. Um, there is no pain feedback loop, so you can't feel strain in that muscle. But basically, literally, the closer you look at something, the more that muscle tightens up to shape the lens. So if you're doing social media at a laptop distance, the muscle is a lot more relaxed than when you do it at phone distance. Right? So now you got a muscle that's really tight and that is habitually really tight. So now when you go back to the distance, the muscle won't completely relax. And when it's not completely relaxed, the lens in your eye is shaped for an intermediate distance. Right? So now you're, the focal plane that you have that you're stuck with is not far enough to let you see clearly to that license plate. That's, that's all that's happening. So if you, if you were in front of that phone and your eye, that muscle is in this position that you put it in too often, this tense position, it just doesn't want to relax all the way. If you take enough time, it will slowly go back to being fully relaxed and you can see as clearly as you would otherwise. And this would be supportive of the idea that throughout evolution humans would never have spent hours and hours looking at something up close. I mean, if you're going back pre-agriculture, we would have been migrating around the planet in small groups of 50 or 60 people, constantly scanning the horizon for 
food, looking for somewhere to settle down, uh, looking for predators, enemies, etc. Like I notice when I get out of the city and I go, you know, visit my dad in Colorado, I notice that wow, I'm really looking far away most of the time versus being in an urban environment where everything's kind of close and you just get habituated to this close-up vision and you really never look very far because in many cases, especially in a city, your, your, uh, your vantage point is obscured by buildings, etc. Yeah. You don't even get outside at all because you work indoors and sleep indoors and you never see the horizon or really try to test your vision for a long, long distance where evolutionarily speaking, I'm assuming we would have spent most of our time looking far away. Yeah. And that's where the biology, the least amount of effort required is how everything is designed, right? And if, if we spent most of our time looking up close, evolutionarily speaking, that muscle will be relaxed and close up and tense for distance, which would then make sense, right? But we are definitely evolved up until very recently in, we do have close-up time and close-up time is fine. I, honestly, I spend six plus hours a day close-up dealing with screens and I still have 20-20 eyesight. It's the details that make the difference. It's that you pick up your phone while eating breakfast and you hang out with friends and you're on public transport. And then this distance that people think they don't spend that much time on, but when you look at the screen time, whatever app, it tells you it was another, it was the rest of your day. That's one thing that's too much, right? And then the rest of it is whenever I ask people, what, what kind of hobbies do you have that require distance vision? If there's a long silence, that's the other half of the problem, right? One half is the screen time that you really don't need. And the other half is you're not actually using your eyes for anything that requires distance vision. Right? We can live in the modern world just fine. And you can have 20-20 eyesight in the modern world just fine if you control the screen addiction and you do something with your eyesight. I notice as I do these podcasts now increasingly on Zoom, which is how I started them four years ago. And then I got really spoiled doing so many of the shows in person through traveling and just living in Los Angeles where people either live or, or pass through. Uh, I find my eyes get really strained now to the point where it's like I have this mic mic stand here you can see right and I've been playing with like how far away from my screen can I get and still see my notes and kind of do my job because I I do notice there's like a dryness in my eyes and then as I said if I go outside after this and I've been staring you know two and a half feet or whatever it is from my giant um, mon- desktop monitor here. Uh, there's a marked um, hit that I take to my vision. And so I think that we're probably dealing with an epidemic now of, as you indicated, device addiction and just people that make their living um, more increasingly online and working remotely. And so when it comes to the the device hierarchy and and that distance, give me, you know, worst case use to best case use? Don't use a phone. Don't use a phone. And that's what I tell the worst thing. I see this because... So I get on average about 700 emails a day. I can't possibly read them all. I have an admin that deals with my emails. And we've developed a system to where I get categories of of email. Like these emails were about this 
X amount. And the amount of emails I get from parents dealing with kids younger and younger has been increasing dramatically. And every so often, I pick a few out to ask them questions. And it's universally the case that these things become the babysitter, right? So a three-year-old is at three-year-old arm's length distance, which is a very short distance, watching cartoons for three hours. Then they go to the optometrist and the optometrist says your three-year-old needs glasses, right? Like it's, that's where it starts. Like the phone, I don't use my phone. If I'm traveling, I check a map or I check restaurant recommendations and that's it, right? I defer all of my, my responding to messages and my whatever else happens to an iPad thing now. And I don't, I'm not trying to have more devices, but that, that if I put it on a table, right? Like it has a keyboard thing. And I have this ritual now where I'll go, go to a coffee shop if something comes up that I need to deal with. And I'll spend a half an hour because now I have a distance that, right, I am this far away from the screen, which is infinitely better than the distance we hold this small screen. You're right. Like you have it at, you watch people looking at their phone. They don't hold it far enough because the screen's so small. You're not immersed in that experience. You just get it really close to your face. Number one worst thing. And you can tell the difference of a half hour looking at your computer monitor distance. Again, your ciliary muscle is not nearly as tight. That's the name of the game. The further you are away from the thing, the less tight the ciliary muscle is, the less time it will take you to get it back to normal. Right. So if you have this podcast and then you have an hour walk or something that doesn't involve screen, your eyes are fine again. Like for example, myself, it's different for everybody. For, but for me, it's about three hours. I can go three hours of screen. And then as long as I get half an hour plus break, overall throughout the day, I'm fine. Right. If I go five hours on a the screen, then I'm screwed. That, that muscle spasm doesn't go away. Like you go outside and you look at car license plate, they're a little bit blurry. That's no big deal as long as that blur goes away in a reasonable amount of time. And you'll find that there's an amount of time that you can be on a screen, go outside, and then half hour later, everything looks fine again. But you exceed that time, and no matter how much time you spend outside, things just stay blurred. And that's one of those things that's worth figuring out, because once you know what that is, you can set yourself that limit, then you're not really at least making it worse. And uh, that would also indicate to me that say you're in your you know out on your patio reading a book and you're really immersed in that book that book's going to be really close and you might be tempted to get really drawn into it and only look 12 inches from your face for a long period of time would it be helpful to even take mini breaks and like look across the yard or at the building next door or you know, having your eyes just adjust incrementally if you do have to commit to two or three hours of computer time or reading or something like that? Or does it not really make a difference? Uh, it's yes, it makes a difference, but I'm a very, I'm very practically minded. For me, it's, it's, I am, I'm personally not going to take these mini breaks because when I'm working, I'm just, I'm just getting stuff done. There's nothing that consistently that I found that consistently, I'm so envious of the cigar right now. That gets me away consistently enough that it would work, right? I'm immersed in my work. I can't handle an alarm stopping me from being where I need to be. So with lots of experimenting and what lots of other people have tried, we've found that you don't need to disrupt your, your workflow 
with these mini breaks. Some people like it, some people find it beneficial, but it's not necessary. So your paradigm differs from your average well-meaning and highly educated optometrist in that the, the, if I go to an eye doctor, the message I'm getting is that my eyes are broken. They're not fixable from myopia, from being nearsighted. And so the only solution to that is getting a prescription for contacts or glasses. And from your perspective, using these different techniques and some of the other training that we can you know, go into, some of the different habits and things like that, um, is that that system in and of itself, because the monetization piece of an optometrist, again, you know, I'm sure they're all well-meaning and great people, is to sell glasses. So they don't have a vested interest in telling you, hey, there's really nothing wrong with your eyes. Your eyes aren't broken. It's just that you have a muscle spasm and your eyes are elongating from close-up work and they're getting essentially stuck in that position. So rather than them having that knowledge or sharing that knowledge with you, they're giving you glasses, which in my experience of having had a couple prescriptions from you know just your average uh, optometrist down optometrist down the street they're giving me a really strong prescription that exceeds what I actually need to the point where I'm I'm seeing like a goddamn eagle now when I really don't need, like I really don't need to see that clearly that far and when I put them on it's it's almost like so unnatural that it it does it's like I didn't even see that way before you know um so is there is there a fundamental kind of misunderstanding in throughout that industry. Because I remember talking to the last optometrist I went to, I found one that was more, I guess, like what would be the equivalent of like a functional medicine doctor versus just an allopathic straight Western doctor. And and he, you know, indicated to me that he was going to give me the the lightest and, and least severe prescription possible because he didn't want me to get too used to that crystal clear vision. So he kind of met me in the middle was something that would still allow me to see clearly, but not accustom myself to seeing that razor sharp distance vision. But I think that's because he was kind of an alternative optometrist. I, I think there's a name for it. Uh, but when I first went, they were just like, give, give me the maximum. And if I hadn't ever discovered your work and just studied it a little bit, I probably would have been wearing those distance glasses for my computer work and just wearing them all the time. But I, I kind of got the concept of becoming habituated or addicted to that clear vision. So now I really only wear my prescription glasses if I'm driving um, at night for the most part, because I just find I get strain and it's probably not that safe um, for me in certain cases, like driving on a mountain road to, to not wear my glasses or something. So is there like a systemic misunderstanding there in your view? Um, I used to... if the. the Amyopia.org is kind of a, a, a timeline, like the t- rings on a tree. You can kind of dig back of my attitude, how it used to be years ago. And it used to really rail against optometry because whenever I would have a conversation with them, they would refute my point of view. And my point of view is based on established, peer-reviewed cl- clinical evidence. And their point of view is based on this pseudoscience of its genetic. So I used to be really upset. I used to just go on terrible rants, which I enjoyed a lot, actually. But what it turns out is it's supply and demand. Most people, given the choice, 
And I, I stopped talking to people about in my personal life about myopia because people don't care. And what I found is what people want is the problem solved and moving on, right? Like if you tell me I can pop these contact lenses in and I think about my vision exactly 48 seconds per day when I go whoop and the problem is solved, where's this crazy boy here who says I need to spend less time on screens and go outside and have hobbies? I'm going to pick the 48 seconds and be done. So what most people want is the subscription to your eyesight model that optometrists sell, whereby you just keep buying new stuff from them and your vision is fine. And you don't have to take personal accountability. You don't have to change habits. You don't have to revisit addicted behaviors you might have. So the reason that's so popular to a large degree is because that's what people want. When, when I first started this, I thought it was going to be a revolution. Whenever I realized the scope of the bullshit, right? Like all of us can have 2020 eyesight. I was like, wow, this is going to be a fundamental change in how we deal with eyesight. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And most people that you talk to are like, that is really fascinating. And I will do nothing about it. Like we've talked for years, right? I mean, it's just like, it's not high enough on the priority list. Yeah. And there are good enough solutions to where you go, the contacts will do. Right. So I finally come to the realizations that optometrists largely exist because that's what people want. Right. The unfortunate part and the part that bothers me and the one thing that I would like to change is that people would be made aware that this is not the only option. Like you go to McDonald's because you want to. You know it's bad for you, but you want to go there. McDonald's isn't out there promoting a message of this is the only food to eat. Whereas optometry is promoting this idea of you're genetically broken and you have to buy this subscription as opposed to you're too lazy to do something about it and this will do. Well, I think that speaks to the allopathic Western medicine model in general. I know people you know, in, in my field, guys that are... Well, I guess it's not just guys, it's everyone that's into biohacking and alternative healing and health and things like that kind of poo-poo Western medicine as if all of those doctors are just greedy a-holes that just want to make money and are happy to give you surgery or drugs to treat a problem and never look at the underlying cause. But I think what you point to has to do with the uh, the depth of laziness that the average human has when it comes to changing their lifestyle and changing their habits. And in Western medicine, I mean, if I have heartburn and I go to the doctor, they're going to give me something to uh, reduce the amount of hydrochloric acid that my stomach produces uh, rather than say like, hey, how much gluten are you eating? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Which for me, gluten gives me heartburn like every time. Uh, I'm pre- pretty good with it now, but I go, you know, it goes in waves. But um, if I go to the doctor and didn't know that there were options or didn't know to look for kind of the root cause as, as you've done with optometry, uh, I would be lazy and very happy to just say, cool, give me the pill to fix it because I don't want to change what I'm doing. I want to just eat my fast food and do my thing, you know? So it's, it's like the system, it's not, it's the system is broken, but it's not necessarily the fault of the doctors or optometrists. It's that they're meeting the demand of the public and the public by and large is lazy and don't really want to address the root cause and make fundamental changes to their behavior and lifestyle to alleviate what is ultimately going to be a symptom of their behavior. Yeah. And that's what I finally arrived at. And I feel bad. And unfortunately, I can't. I can't delete 
many years of the website. I mean, I could, but there's so much helpful content mixed in with these angry rants and optometry where now I'm realizing it's nobody's fault. This is just, right? Everybody's happy with this solution. And it makes sense because I talked to another friend of mine who, who is really insightful on this, what can you accomplish in your life? And he was talking about, you make a list of the 10 things that are the most important to you that you want to accomplish and show me getting past the first three, right? People don't. He's like, okay, even the top three things that you want to do in your life are hard enough to accomplish. And for most people, that's you know maintaining your employment and feeding your kids and some basic health and bam, that's it. You know what I mean? There is no... Eyesight would be like number 14 on that list because... Right, you can go pop those contact lenses in, and the problem is solved. My right. issue is just now it's five year olds, right? The five year old is not making a choice, and nobody's telling the parents that the this is not a babysitter. The smartphone is not a babysitter. It's now gotten to the point where things are really uncool when it affects people too young to make choices for themselves. Well, it's funny as you as you talked about earlier uh, the example of a young child holding the phone in front of their face as far as the three year old arm can reach. <clears throat> what comes to mind for me is also the EMF exposure that's inherent to device use, and uh, that's something that I feel really concerned about. Uh, although I don't have kids, but you know, it takes everything I have to see a friend of mine who's got a kid and they're sitting there with an iPad in their lap or like you know, six inches from their face. And I've measured all these devices with, you know, a building biologist with very sophisticated equipment. And the, the amount of EMF that any electronics put off is insane, but specifically those that are wireless and are sending and receiving data through uh, RF fields um, in Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cellular service, et cetera. And um, so I think it's it's a double-edged sword when you combine, you know, the the damage to one's eyes and vision, but also the fact that they're being radiated. So I think this is really sage advice for parents to take responsibility for their children when your job is to protect that child, uh, to do whatever you can to you know, mitigate the exposure, not only that's going to hurt their eyes, but also you know, affect their biology, possibly long-term from just being constantly in those fields. So it's a it's kind of a multi-pronged issue. And add to that the exposure to non-native blue light, which is something I talk about a lot on this show uh, because it's you know an emerging body of evidence shows that it's um, not only damaging to our circadian rhythm and the production of melatonin in our sleep, et cetera, but also that the blue light in and of itself is really damaging to the eye. Have you looked at that piece at all? With the, Speaking of... <sighs> what I call non-native blue light, that very narrow, unnatural alien spectrum of light that literally doesn't exist in nature anywhere, but is radiating from LED lighting, fluorescent lighting, all of our devices, et cetera? Yes, I have. And I have a little bit, I have a little bit of a simplistic view on this because the thing I know about is myopia. And that kind of takes up enough of my time to where I'm not visiting other rabbit holes. Right. On the periphery, so just prefacing it with don't take my advice on this, is I think the main issue... That, because what people do is they buy glasses that block supposedly block that blue light. Pay a bunch of money, supposedly that blocks the blue light. They think it's the problem is fixed. And my bigger issue with all these things is back to the thing of 
don't spend three hours on Netflix with your blue light blocking glasses thinking that fixed the problem. That's like drinking Coke Zero going, I'm not eating sugar now. Right. Right. Like the, the fundamental issue is still the screen. And then all of these companies are trying to make you, they're selling your thing and trying to make you feel better while scaring you about the blue light. So my first reaction to blue light is always remove the cause of the blue light, which is the stupid thing, right? Like there are other ways to entertain yourself. We are in this, oh man, we're going to get on a tangent here. I'm stuck on this island and it is all hippies. It's Where? just hippie. hippies. It's a thing. Yeah, it is just because everybody's gone. The tourists are gone, right? Like the that's all that's left. And one of the things that we have observed here with a friend is we never see them playing on their phones. They're doing acro yoga and they're making things. They're they're communicating. They're hanging out. it's noticeable. Like we go to dinner and everybody who's at dinner is talking to each other. Nobody's on the phone. Stark contrast to when I was in Bangkok, when I'm in Hong Kong, when I'm in Singapore, when I'm anywhere, where even during meals, even out in nightclubs, people are on their phone, right? Like that's the fundamental thing. And that's when people look at me weird sometimes when I say, don't be on Netflix for three hours in the evening. Like what else would I possibly be doing, Right. So the blue light is like a tiny, yes, for sure, increasing body of evidence that there's a problem. But what there should be an increasing body of evidence for is that us living in this isolated bubble, staring at the screen, emitting blue light. The problem is that we're in the space as opposed to interacting with each other. Right. You know, like, so you have a, a, a fundamental psychological detriment in that we're... Losing hobbies, passions, human connection, our ability to interact with one another uh, socially. You've got the blue light, you've got the EMF, and you've got, of course, the tendency of people to get sucked into that device and get their eyes to lose their ability to focus and defocus and change the the uh, distance with which the eye can uh, uh, acclimate. Now, the biggest thing, and I, this is another little, I'm going to stop being on the side tangent. I think the biggest thing that we're losing that I finally realized from these things is boredom. And boredom is the fundamental motivator of, of everything, right? Because once you get bored enough, you're going to call friends, you're going to go out, you pick up a hobby, you find a passion, you do a thing, but this thing removes boredom. Because the, 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 the millisecond you get bored, you pick the thing up and you scroll through Instagram or Facebook or watch YouTube or whatever you do, and you're instantly no longer bored. Which I think that's, that's where the whole... Fundamentally, the whole problem starts is when you're no, no longer bored enough to do something with your life. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, though there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of elements that, and I always appreciate tangents on this show because this show is is one big tangent often. Um, going back to, let me see where do I want to go with this. Oh, can I say one more thing before I forget it? Because you said EMF, and that's another giant tangent. And this is another thing I know nothing about. Um, I bought these Apple AirPod things. 
Oh, you God. Know, the, oh, stick in your ear. And it took me a literally over a year to put this together. And I'm not saying this is true at all, unrelated to myopia, just because you're talking about EMF is I had serious mood swings. Like I was so angry for no reason. And I stopped wearing them because one of them died and the mood swing just went away to the point where my girlfriend was like, what happened to you? You're so relaxed all the time. Like you used to just be so angry. And then I bought new ones and it came right back. And that's when I was like, as soon as I wear these things for two or three hours, I'm just incredibly aggressively irritable. Yeah. Ear pods are, I mean, (laughs) I do my best to not proselytize and tell people what to do. I mean, do as you wish, you know, live and let live. As long as you're not harming other people, you know, go for it, do your thing. But uh, I've measured these ear pods and different Bluetooth devices, wearables and things like that. And they emit an incredible amount of radiation. And the thing that's insane about the ear pods, and I'm glad that you have that anecdotal experience and you learned your lesson was you have to understand that those ear pods are not only communicating from the side of your head, picking up the Bluetooth signal from wherever the device is, but they're also communicating to one another to create a stereo reception. So literally you're shooting Bluetooth radio. I mean, it's radiation. That's what RF is, radio frequencies. That's how data travels is using radiation in the air. You're, you're literally frying your brain. It's like having two cell phones, like a cell phone on either side of your head. Whenever I see people with those, it's like, takes. I'll be on a, on a Zoom call and someone will be using them and I'm just sitting here like, Luke, don't say anything. Don't say anything. You know? <laughs> They didn't ask your advice. It's not like someone's like, hey, Luke, what do you think of these things I'm wearing? So I just sit here the whole time like, oh, God bless you. God bless you. You know, I hope they're, you're safe and send them good energy because it, it really is. And, and on that note, I'm going to go ahead and take a sideline here too. And this might not be something you have any awareness of, but uh, when I first contacted you about my vision problems, I was unknowingly living directly under two massive cell towers that were about 100 yards from my bed. So, And they were behind kind of a faux wall on the top of an office building across from my apartment. And so I had no idea they were there. And I'm very EMF aware, very sensitive. I would never knowingly live anywhere near a cell tower. And it was while I was living there that my vision seemingly overnight just went went bad on me. And I I didn't even know that it was happening until uh, I took one trip to New York and I you know got off the plane, took an Uber into the city and, uh, and was hungry. So I set about to find something to eat. And I found myself on the streets of Manhattan getting terribly disoriented and kind of like dizzy. And I, I was getting lost trying to find, you know, looking at the map on my phone. And I thought, what the hell is wrong with me? And then I looked up at one of the street signs and I realized, holy shit, I can't read that goddamn sign. And that was the first time I ever knew that my eyes went bad. And it had it the onset of it was so sudden. Now, of course, you know, in the years prior, I'd been using devices more and more, obviously, and my career had moved into more of an online business. So I'm spending more time on, on devices and computers, whereas my prior career involved just driving around all day, basically. But my eyes started to go bad and become extremely irritated and dry all the time and just kind of like red and itchy and and all that. And then six months after my eyes went bad, I discovered these cell towers. 
And then I started doing research. And one of the primary symptoms of radiation sickness and acute radiation exposure is uh, vision problems, dry eyes, headaches, irritability, uh, dizziness, vertigo, all of, you know, migraines, all this kind of stuff. And so there, there seemed to be a correlation with the onset of my vision problems when I was living there. Now, unfortunately, and fortunately, when I moved, all of those other symptoms went away, but the loss of my 2020 vision persisted. And so I, I think it's just worth alerting people that, um, you know, the, the device use and always looking close up is definitely a factor, as you've indicated and for sure proven. But there is an element of acute exposure too that can be really bad for your eyes because your eyes are part of your brain. And um, one of the ways in which radiation affects you uh, the worst is the effect that it has on your brain specifically due to the fact that your brain is mushy and susceptible and you have a very thin skull. So I just want to throw that out there. Now, what I did when I found out about your work is I heeded the warning of not getting addicted to really strong glasses. So as I said, I went to an optometrist and they tried to give me this crazy clear vision. I'm like, eh, I don't want this. So I found that other optometrist that was a little more holistic. And I told him, I want you know the least amount of correction possible while still being able to safely drive basically. And he was willing to comply with that request. And then I went um, you know, for maybe a year or so and wore my glasses only when they were absolutely necessary. But yet, when I went back again, my vision had gotten a little bit worse and my prescription got higher. So that was maybe a year ago. And now at this point, I just really try to never wear my glasses. I try to limit screen time, etc. But thus, I have not been able to ultimately fix it. Uh, so I don't know if that's a question or just a statement of, you know, a warning to people like, hey, it's, you know, radiation can also really affect your vision negatively. Have you heard anything about that side of it? I know you're not an expert on EMF, but is is that something that could potentially be an issue from your point of view? Um, it could be. I don't have enough information to really say I've seen this happen with any consistency. There's Eyesight is related to a lot of things. Literally, you could have a pizza and a Coke and your eyesight will get worse because you have an insulin spike. Like oh. Eyesight, if you're not wearing glasses that are so strong that everything is just crystal clear no matter what, like if you have normal human natural vision and you're paying attention to it, you will notice that a bad night of sleep, stress, right? Like you, lot, people losing their jobs, especially lately. I've been getting a lot of emails. People like, I'm super stressed, lost my job. My eyesight is X amount worse now. Your vision is very strongly correlated to your whole experience and environment. I don't doubt that EMF radiation could be, play part in it, but I don't have enough information to say, yes, this is what's happening. Got it. Um, at, the, at the same time, measuring your eyesight yourself, I think is really important because going to the optometrist is one, a snapshot of that of your vision in that moment. As you mentioned before, like if you go to the optometrist after you edit a podcast, your vision is going to be worse than if you were just out for a weekend hike, right? So it's just that vision in that moment is a snapshot. That measurement is also highly subjective because lighting, for example, significantly affects your vision. 
So if you're looking at an eye chart in that nicely lit room right there, you're going to get a completely different result than if you look at that same eye chart at night with just some fluorescent lighting, right? So both the measurement environment and your own eyes in that moment can vary a great deal. So the best way to measure vision is to do it yourself. Um, Distance to blur is one thing. So how many centimeters, inches you can see before you see blur and recording that. And if you do that consistently, just if you do it like a few times a day in the beginning and then once a week and then a couple times a month, you'll have context to be like, this is my actual eyesight. You know, So that'll give you real information as opposed to going to the optometrist one day and letting all those variables give you a result that may not be that meaningful. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. This here podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC. They make a product called Cacao Bliss and it is absolutely insane. Now, back in the day, I used to have to take about 50 ingredients to make an elixir or a smoothie get them from all over the place, mix them together, make a big mess, took up a bunch of space in the cabinet. And uh, this product here, Cacao Bliss, has taken that pain away. Now I have amazing ceremony grade organic raw cacao, turmeric, black pepper to maximize the results and the bioavailability of the turmeric. You know how that works. MCT powder, which uh, makes you feel satiated longer. It's a good healthy fat and uh, actually helps you lose weight, as ironic as that is. It's got cinnamon, which improves your body's ability to digest glucose and reduce your desire for sugary treats. It's got monk fruit, which satisfies the old sweet tooth just as much as sugar with zero calories and doesn't affect your blood sugar. It's got coconut nectar, which acts as a prebiotic and feeds the healthy gut bacteria in your lower intestine. It's got lacuma, which adds a really delicious hint of caramel-like flavor and has wound healing properties. I've loved Lakuma for a long time, as well as Mesquite. A lot of people don't know about Mesquite. So when I found Cacao Bliss, I was stoked that they included this. It's a sweet and nutty superfood that doesn't cause blood sugar spikes and helps boost your immune system. And they round it out with Himalayan salt, which contains over 84 minerals and trace elements while helping to balance your pH levels. So this is the ultimate superfood elixir, but it really tastes like a chocolate milk. I mean, straight up, it's like tastes like a dessert. So you can make it hot, you can make it cold, mix it with coffee. Sometimes I make like a kind of a cold chocolate milk with it. It's just absolutely fantastic. And you can get yourself some over here at earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. That's earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. The 15% off code is Luke15. And while you're at it, check them out on Instagram at Earth Echo Foods. And you can see the product that I'm talking about. It's called Cacao Bliss. It's delicious. It's healthy. Go get some. And now back to the interview. Dude, that's so true because now that you mentioned that, when I said that my eyes had gotten worse, I really think that that the year later when I went to the optometrist that I was just having a particularly bad day because I didn't sleep well or whatever the case. I might've had a lot of screen time, whatever it was. And then I was kind of forced to get a new prescription because that day my eyes were just kind of fatigued. But then when I put it, cause I just wanted new glasses and you know, if you go to get glasses made, they won't do it on an outdated prescription, right? Even if I go in there like, no, I want the weak ones from last year. They typically won't do that. So I had to get a new prescription and 
Now I'll put on my old glasses and I see just fine with those. So I, I really don't think my vision actually changed to your point. So that's, that's very interesting. Um, and this is also the point at which I got stuck when I started digging into your work a couple of years ago was the, the, which is probably not that complicated, but when you talk about measuring your own eyes, that's where I got lost. And I was like, well, we're getting into some algebra here. This is, <laughs> this is like way above my pay grade when it comes to the mathematics of it. So could you walk us through the practicality of measuring one's own eyes? Uh, like, how do you actually do that? You get a you get a, a vision test and put it on the wall with a tape measure, or like, how do you actually determine over the course of time what your average eyesight really looks like? Sure, and actually, um, working on an iPhone app that'll do the measuring for you because I found exactly what you said. People have that issue. That first step, because one thing I found is once you start measuring your eyesight, you will improve your eyesight because once you have that data. It's addictive almost where you're like, huh, it was 37 centimeters yesterday and it's 42 today. You get into it. But measuring is a little bit, it's enough of a hurdle where a lot of people just go, okay, I don't get it. That's so, up the ball. Hopefully, <laughs> in the next month or two, the thing's going to be ready where literally you look at your phone and at the distance that you start to see blur, you hit the button and it tells you your eyesight. It'll save the data and it'll chart it for you. So, a lot of that challenge. Yeah, if I don't go broke first, that'll be out. <laughs> Tester right here, bro. Send me the, send me the uh, development link when you have it because that, that really has been kind of the sticking point for me. And, and at, I, yeah. I also want to throw this in when we keep saying prescriptions and I just have to say this. Glasses are clear curved pieces of plastic. This whole word prescription... It's only a prescription because lens manufacturers spent millions of dollars lobbying to make glasses a prescription. You can buy over-the-counter medicine that if you take too much will kill you. Just go into the local pharmacy over-the-counter stuff, right? Like, like, like pain medication that you can just buy over-the-counter. Incredibly dangerous, potentially. Glasses, clear curved pieces of plastic. There's no known reason that that would have to be a prescription. Other than the wholesale cost of quality lenses with all the coatings is about $2. And literally, I mean, that's how you can buy glasses online for 10 bucks is because lenses cost nothing to manufacture. And the way back in the day, lens manufacturers tried to protect the giant profit margin is to make sure that you can only buy those lenses from outlets that they control, right? So the only way you're going to pay $200 for a pair of glasses that cost Right, like whatever, forty bucks for the frame and two dollars for the for the lenses to the optometrist. Like the optometrist buys the lenses for two bucks. The only way to make that happen is to make it so you can only buy it there, and then have this. The word prescription automatically makes you feel like you're a patient. They call you a patient. It's just ridiculous. And then you don't question why these things are two hundred bucks. I just had to get that out there because we keep using the word prescription. And I dislike the word because that's how they get you in this victim frame of you're sick and you need this thing. Right. So on that note, what about someone who has macular degeneration or someone who is farsighted and unlike myopia does actually have something wrong with their eyes other than just you know a muscle spasm issue? You go to an ophthalmologist. 
one of my first recommendations, and this is no, no shade at the optometrist. I always say go to a place where when you walk in, you're not seeing frames for sale. You're not seeing fashion brand frames for sale. That's what you want. You want to go to a medical doctor who deals with eyesight, who, who's, who makes their money by diagnosing eyesight issues, not by selling glasses. The first cue is if you walk into a mall, right? Like a shopping mall, and you see a shoe store here, and then an optic shop there, whatever they say inside about prescriptions should be a question mark, right? Like how many medical facilities do you see in a shopping mall? It's funny. It's, right. It is kind of, it is a charade where they sell $200 things that cost them a very small fraction of it. And that's not just me. There was an article in the LA Times, um, a huge article in the LA Times uh, exposing uh, trying to, lens crafters. A senior executive that had left lens crafters was a whole night. It's a fascinating article talking about how they're making 6,000% profit on selling glasses. Yeah, in your town's uh, paper. Nobody reads those anymore, but it's worth looking up. LA Times and uh, um, the glasses ripoff. It'll bring up that article. So it's not just me saying this. This is genuinely the thing. So if you have an eye condition, don't see an optometrist, see an ophthalmologist. And that would be if you have something more serious other than, than just this nearsighted, fixable myopia. Right, correct. Yeah. Right, okay. Like there was some damage to your eye or something that, that was in fact genetic or something like that. Like I think my dad um, has had glaucoma for a long time, for example, uh, from being, you know, roughhousing too much in his 20s and getting in too many fights. And then eventually that glaucoma uh, started to, I don't know if they were related, but eventually now he's starting to get this macular uh, degeneration issue, which those things would have nothing to do with like too much screen time and too much looking up close. Then there's actually something wrong with the eye in that particular case. In those cases, I don't know. Like I'm genuinely, I'm not one of those people that I'm not saying Western medicine is bad and you don't need anything except for the internet. There are plenty of issues where I personally would go to an ophthalmologist. Regular checkup, a good idea. If they say there's something wrong, probably listen to them. Like I'm, I'm strictly dealing, I'm only dealing with a thing that is caused by eye strain from looking too clo- up close too much and then buying a $2 and $200 retail thing that's a quick fix that then causes more of the symptom. So I'm staying far away from medical things. And, and while there may be better answers than medical fixes for other issues, I just don't know. Yeah. Right? Like I'm literally only... This was me fixing my eyesight and realizing it's fixable. And as I was realizing this and being excited, going to optometrists, going, holy crap, can you believe this? And then them responding really negatively, me becoming frustrated and then using what is now end myopia as an outlet basically to vent my frustration and troll them and my morning procrastination. You know what I mean? Like that's all it is. And that's all I know. Like people ask me all the time about serious issues, but I'm like, I honestly, I have no idea. Right? Well, I appreciate, like, I appreciate your humility because there are you know, many armchair scientists and doctors out there that want to know everything about everything. So I think it's quite honorable that you're able to stay in your lane um, and not make recommendations that you're not qualified to make. And 
I would say that too. Um, but on one note there, I just have to throw something in because I'm also a truth seeker and someone who's bothered by deception and scams and, and myths that perpetuate uh, along the lines of those mall uh, eyewear stores and mall optometrists. There's also this um, kind of marketing scam that is becoming quite pervasive where they're marketing glasses that are called blue blocking glasses uh, that, that don't in fact block the spectrum of light that is damaging to your eyes, to your melatonin, to your circadian rhythm and how they'll show you that they... And these are the clear glasses where you can't even tell. They don't have any kind of amber filter or anything like that, like the real blue blocking glasses do. And even in that space, I'm learning, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions with cheap ones you can buy on Amazon that don't actually block the right narrow bandwidth of light that interferes with your sleep, etc. But uh, I went to... Um, uh, you know, an optometrist and said, yeah, I want to get prescription glasses. And do you have any blue blocking lenses? And he said, oh yeah, for sure. So we got out these clear lenses and I thought, I, the, I don't know, the ones I've seen are like amber, dark amber color, like the ones that I wear at night. A couple brands that even advertise on my show periodically. And he said, no, no, it blocks it. And then he took a little blue laser and like shone it through the lens. And on the other side of the lens, there's no blue light coming through. And then he got a regular pair of glasses and the blue light did indeed show through on a white piece of paper under. So I thought, oh, wow, it's blocking blue light. But that's a completely fraudulent scientific basis of uh, manufacturing that really is of no value. So I think it's, it's you know, worth noting for people that go buy some Tom Ford designer glasses that are part of their blue blocked line when in fact it's not really doing anything for that particular issue. There's no... It's like, it's like vitamins. My my sister used to get used to sell vitamins, so she got really into the world of vitamins, and that is one epic scam. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And there's no regulation, right? So the same thing is with blue blocking glasses. There's no requirement for these guys to go through any testing to any validation. It's not approved by the FDA or anything like that. So anybody can say whatever they want about these things. Buyer beware, absolutely. Right. So when it comes to uh, the myopia piece and we're just you know, going to the optometrist and thinking of them as all-knowing omniscient experts, is it true that, like, let's say I'd never heard of you and I went to the optometrist and they said, yeah, you know, you're, you don't have 2020 anymore, wear these glasses. And if they didn't tell me, yo, don't wear these distance glasses when you're looking up close, don't wear them all the time. I would have probably been wearing those every time I worked on the computer or did anything. I would just, I would have just been resigned to the fact, well, I guess I'm someone that wears glasses now and I just wear them all the time. Is there a risk in further you know, uh, impacting this myopia issue from wearing glasses all the time when you don't actually need them up close, et cetera. And, and I think that would be especially true for people that wear contacts that who's going to like come up to their computer and pop their contacts out because now they don't need to see distance. They're just going to wear them all the time. And does that make this issue become worse where your prescription is going to get stronger and stronger over time? Yeah, two things there. The contact lenses is one issue. Um, with glasses... The thing that causes your eyeball to elongate, right? As the eyeball elongates, your myopia is worse. And the eyeball elongates because what we talked about before is because you put glasses minus lenses in front of the eye, 
there's some kind of a stimulus that causes the eye to elongate, which equals more myopia. That stimulus, in a large part, is called hyperopic defocus. Also on Google Scholar, all of these things are on Google Scholar. Like I've invented nothing, right? I've just taken puzzle pieces and put them together. Hyperopic defocus is when the light doesn't focus on the retina and not in front of it, that would be myopia, but it focuses slightly behind it. Like you put lenses in front of your eyes that correct your distance vision, right? That move the light further back in your eye. And now you're using those glasses while you're in close-up mode so that that light is pushed back further than it should be. And sometimes it's on the periphery and it gets complicated. The, the mechanism is fairly complex. But the basic idea is whenever that light is not focusing on the retina, but would focus behind it, that's the stimulus that makes your eye grow longer. So the main thing that causes your eyes to get quote unquote worse, worse is really just means longer. They're not actually worse. They're just adjusting is wearing distance glasses during close-up. If you always took your glasses off that are meant for distance vision during close-up when you first got the low diopter ones and you don't need glasses for close-up, your eyesight would never really get quote-unquote worse. It's just mainly primarily wearing distance glasses during close-up that causes the progression of myopia. Um, contact lines is a little bit of a different issue because contact lenses also cause your eyes to get dry. Your blink rate is reduced by like a factor of five when you're looking at a close-up object. You stop blinking, so you stop producing or moving tear fluid that your eyes need. So now you're getting dry eyes with your contact lenses. So contact lens used during close-up is a more is even less great for you than using glasses. But basically, you would avoid most of the repeat visits to the optometrist by taking those things off, and you don't. Need and that leads me to uh, the next question along the same lines uh, around these different surgeries, laser surgeries and LASIKs and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I have two brothers that became nearsighted uh, around the same time I did. And one of them got some variation of LASIK surgery and his eyes were perfect afterward. And it's been quite a few years and he's done quite well. Uh, I think he gets dry eyes a little bit and he does, he's a graphic designer. So he does a lot of computer work for hours and hours a day um, with those fixed eyes uh, through the laser surgery. And he indicated to me that his vision has gotten a little bit blurry over time. This is going back, you know, probably 10 years uh, that it has gotten a little bit blurry on distance. And to me, that's kind of scary because it's like, well, what do you do then? Like then you had Lasix, now you have to get glasses also. Uh, whereas my other brother, um, the younger one, he kind of did one of the budget LASIK treatments. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know where he, he found an ad in the you know newspaper or something. It was like cheap LASIKs and just went to whatever place at a mini mall in the valley or something. And his eyes have been, he's had a horrible time uh, with dryness. He has to carry around eye drops all the time. And it's it's really been quite problematic for him. So his vision is clear, but his eyes constantly uh, irritate him. So what's your... Um, perspective on that as an option. So we've got glasses, we've got contacts, we have that LASIK surgery. What is, what is that doing exactly when they do those types of surgeries to the eye in relation to myopia? So if you're going to do LASIK, the budget version is always the best choice. 
like whatever the cheapest one is that you can find. Um, so on the FDA website itself, and I have links to it somewhere, they have statistics showing LASIK surgery side effects that are permanent. And when I first saw that, I couldn't believe, I thought it was a fake site. Like I had to go back to the FDA website and just go, is this really the FDA website? Because the statistics quoted there were just, it was shocking to me that this is an approved procedure. I recommend for anybody who wants to look into this, start with the FDA website, find the LASIK side effects page. It's been years. I haven't looked at it in a long time, but it was just a shocking amount of side effects that are permanent. I just couldn't believe that was on the FDA website. The reason I found that is because a guy named Dr. Morris Waxler, who was the head of the FDA committee, apparently, who got LASIK approved, right? Like he worked for the FDA, got LASIK approved, later left, and since then has been campaigning heavily, saying it was the biggest mistake of his life, should have never been approved. It's a dangerous and terrible idea. Morris Waxler, if you Google him, all over the place. And the guy is genuinely tortured by this. We've spoken many times and he feels like a personal responsibility that he let this happen. Of course, it's not. The next guy would have approved it also. Very profitable, lots of possible side effects. I'm not a LASIK specialist, but I get a lot of email from people, a lot of email that's heartbreaking of all the side effects that happen. And the dry ice thing is one of the lesser ones, but still apparently permanent, right? Where now you have better vision, but you have some issue that you, you can't get around. And apparently in a lot of cases that flap, don't quote me on this because I could be wrong, but I've been told several times that by people who wanted to be um, fighter pilots, that they couldn't become a fighter pilot because they had LASIK surgery before. And apparently that flap never fully heals. So during the high G-force maneuvers, that flap can move. So they're not letting people who had LASIK surgery become pilots in aircraft that have high G maneuvers. Supposedly, I've been told this many times, but I never went and had an official instructor tell me that this is factual. But apparently, there are problems with the permanence of the surgery and there are a fair amount of side effects. To me, it seems to be an incredibly risky procedure when we understand the cause. It's an elongated eyeball and the eyeball will shorten given a bit of time and lower correction glasses. So... It's a hugely unnecessary risk to take. If you're going to go that route, I would just rather wear contacts or glasses and don't undergo a procedure where the side effects may not be reversible. Yeah, I think I was I was put off uh, by it because I was the one that went to pick up brother number one when he had it done. <laughs> I walk in the you know in the in the reception office at the place where he had it done, and he, he comes out and they lead him out, and both his eyes are bandaged up. And I had to lead him to the car, and we were roommates at the time. And so I, you know, I had to like lead him to go take a leak and like make him breakfast. And I was like, "Holy shit, this is hardcore, man!" I mean, it was—I forget—two or three days or something. His eyes were completely bandaged up. He was essentially blind temporarily, and that was enough for me to be like, "Whoa, I'll just—if I ever lose my vision, this is before that happened uh, for me." But I was like, "Yeah, I don't think I'm ever getting on board for that." It was just. It seemed to be incredibly invasive and um, one of those things like one false move and you could, it seemed to me, could end up blind. Like 
you scratch your nose or something in the middle of it. And they're like, oops, and they just lasered the wrong part of your eye or something, you know? It's a very Frankensteinian kind of, uh, you know, operation there. So I was, I was definitely turned off by that. There's a news reporter in the US, this was a, some months ago, committed suicide after LASIK because her vision was just so screwed up. Um, and she committed suicide over it. It was in our Facebook group. A lot of people talked about this. A lot of people came out talking about their own LASIK surgery experience and having had side effects and depression because of it. Because you know, for, even if it's quote unquote just dry eyes, that's enough to, if you're living in that constant discomfort and pain, that is not for the rest of your life. To me, it just seems to be too much of a risk to even if it's a couple percentage points, you know, like if 100 people go in there and 95 people are fine, to me, that's still way too big of a risk. Yeah. Like an electric procedure, right? Like you don't need it. You're not going to die without it. Right. Likewise. Uh, there's something else I wanted to ask you about. And again, you know, I know like I'm, I often cover things that a guest might not have expertise or even an awareness about, but um, it's worth asking. Something that concerns me with vision is the flicker rate of the lighting in our environments, whether that be LED lighting in your home, on your devices, televisions, fluorescent lighting, things like that. Um, I personally am very sensitive to light flicker just in terms of brain function and how I feel, my mood, etc. To the point where if I go in a big box store like Target or something like that, I mean, it's like I immediately just start getting confused and irritable. And then as I did some research, found that um, some people are really irritated by lighting that flickers and lighting... Uh, that has a flicker rate is becoming more prominent because it's energy efficient, because essentially it's turning on and off repeatedly. I forget how many, 60 times a second or something like that. Uh, And so what that does is it causes your pupil to dilate and contract rapidly to catch up with that light turning on and off, just like it would in in a dark room if you were to flip the light switch on and off, right? So it's very fatiguing to the eye and the brain because it's unnatural. There's no flicker in our natural environment because the sun is just a static light source. And the only time, another interesting thing is the only time in nature you would see light flickering is if you're running through a wooded area and there's daylight or sunlight flickering through the trees, which would mean you would be in a really high stress state, either trying to catch some prey or not be prey, right? And that's the only time in nature, you know, evolutionarily speaking, that we would have been in a light that goes ticket, 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 you know, and flickers like that. Um, so I've gone to great lengths to actually measure the flicker inside the lighting in my house. And there's no light that flickers in my whole house because I'll film it with slow motion on my iPhone. And you can see it, it turns on, turns off, turns on, turn off about that fast. So it's really interesting. Have you um, heard anything about light flicker or observed the effects of it? Or is that something you're even aware of at all? No, uh, thankfully not. I, and again, this is, I avoid as many of the rabbit holes as possible because yeah. uh, ignorance is bliss, as they say, right? Yeah. And, and for example, and this is an odd, so no, the short version is I really haven't. And I'm now, I wish I didn't know because now I'm going to find the slow motion recording on my iPhone. And heart disease. I had a, a podcast with a fantastic guy discussing heart disease. And he said there's something called a CAC scan, a coronary artery calcification scan. I don't know if you've heard of this. I have, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're aware of this. I wasn't. My parents are both doctors. 
right? My dad told me to go on statins because cholesterol. I didn't, of course. In all of this, and I get every year checkups. I go to the fancy hospital. I do all this stuff. Never heard of this till we had this podcast to the point of why I don't like rabbit holes. So, and I couldn't believe this. And we had a fantastic conversation and I wasn't aware of this. So I started researching it after the fact that the calcification of your coronary arteries is the determining factor of all heart disease. And you can measure this thing. And there's multi-million dollar devices in many hospitals that allow you to get this checked out and that you can prevent progression of heart disease and maybe even reverse it with nutrition. I was like, this cannot be, this has to be a conspiracy theory. How have I not heard of this? I went to a hospital. It was actually in Bangkok. I was in Bangkok at the time. It's this futuristic Star Trek machine with a rotating uh, disc, right? That spins around and like measures slices of your heart. And I didn't have any coronary artery calcification but that's apparently a real thing. And that would be a way to know if I'm going to get heart disease, the likelihood that it's going to kill me and I could possibly prevent it. Never heard of it. (laughs) This is going back to the light flickering where I'm like, there are so many things where I really wish that was a good thing to know about, but where it's like, how many things can you become aware of without just starting to either be completely a conspiracy theorist or just never wanting to deal with modern life again, right? Because I, I mean, that, that light flickering sounds like that could certainly be a thing. Every time I walk into a shopping mall, my eyesight goes to, just goes to shit. That fluorescent lighting just does not agree with my eyes. If I spend more than an hour in a shopping mall, my eyesight is just terrible. I've never considered that the flickering could be a thing. And now I kind of wish I didn't know because it, it makes a lot of sense. And there are so many of these things where if we took a step back and we took a more natural approach to things or not the most the cheapest way for the light to turn on and off and save some money, that so often we're better off with the simpler solution than with the, the madness. Described a, a huge part of my, um, I don't want to say struggle, but being in the business that I'm in, I'm privy to information like that. And I'm so curious and I love to learn, but there is this tightrope of having an awareness of issues like this, but not walking around in fear and being paranoid and causing yourself ultimately psychological and then physical harm by being in a state of anxiety about it, right? So if I walk in Target and I go, wow, this lighting is really harsh. I don't like it. That's one thing. But if I go, oh my God, this is hurting my brain. This flicker is like confusing my pupil right now. <laughs> you know, Then it's like an added level of damage that's being caused because you're focusing on something that's wrong. So uh, I think for me, this is something I'm always kind of working on is to build a lifestyle and, and you know educate the listeners of this podcast how they can build the same lifestyle if they so choose that is more in alignment with nature, but also to accept that there are just some things about modern life that you can't change and to be paranoid. The, them. You're, you're smoking the cigar. I love that, right? Like you have to just go yeah. at some point, you have to draw the line and be like, something's going to kill me and I'm going to enjoy it at least. Yeah. Well, right? I'm sitting here in my studio and there's a, I know exactly where the Wi-Fi router is. I can tell you it's like about 10 feet from my head right now. And I don't like that because I know what that could mean. 
But the fact is, um, I have to live scroll. I choose to live stream on my devices and they're not hardwired like my computer that we're talking on is now. So it's like, I just put it out of my mind because I've accepted that it's the way it is. And I know that worrying about it is going to be more detrimental to my health and well-being than it just being there. In other words, it's like double jeopardy when the thing's potentially harmful and your thoughts about it are also harmful. And yeah. that, you know, if you look at the power of placebo, right? It's like now someone could listen to this show and every time they're on their phone, be like, oh my God, I'm going to get myopia. You know what I mean? So it's like that fine line of awareness without anxiety, of a relaxed awareness where you go, okay, le- this is a less than optimal situation, but it is what it is. So now let me get back to being happy and having a sense of well-being and feeling safe and secure and just calming my nervous system down. And if, if there's an intervention that can be implemented without being incredibly neurotic about it, then I'm going to do that. So in my case, it's like, yeah, change the light bulbs in my house. That takes me about an hour and then it's just done and I never think about it again. So I'm not you know, sitting going, oh my God, is this light flickering? It's just, it's just fixed. Um, I want to get back to uh, some of your your methodology and also, of course, let people know where they can find your work and your Facebook group and and courses and things like that. Um, because I one thing I really like about you is that this is your passion and you've created a business around it. But as people will find on your website, it's really funny when it comes to the money part. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm selling something, but the way you approach it, I really dig because you're like, yeah, now's the part when I'm going to tell you it's going to cost some money. And here's like 80% of the shit you can do to fix it for free. But if you want to take it to the next level, there is, you know, different training and stuff available. So I, I really, I like the way you very transparently and in a funny way, like sell something online. But when it comes to the, um, the methods of actually fixing it, which I'm sure people are like, yeah, yeah, okay, so it's a problem. How do I fix it? So one is the reducing the screen time. We've established the hierarchy of device distance, you could say, right? Best to worst. And then getting in the habit of learning how to measure your your eyesight at what point it gets blurry and you're making an app, which sounds amazing to make that more simple for simpletons like me. Um, if we're not doing exercises in the in the way that they're presented in something like the the Bates method where we're rolling our eyes around or squinting or covering our our you know one eye and, and this kind of stuff. Um, tell us about active focus because I know that's part of your recommendations and anything else that might be helpful to people that listen to this show and go, I want to start doing something right now because my eyes are getting a little weird or I want to in fact reverse what I have going. Okay, uh, that's a lot to unpack on this one. There, the approach is very simple. And the reason I joke around about buying stuff online because you really don't need to... I invest in businesses. I'm a stock trader. So it's not my main monetary focus. I just don't like it losing money. And it like doing this app, like all this stuff costs a ton of money. So I like it to at least break even, which is why I'm not that focused on you have to buy stuff. The approach to reversing your myopia is simple enough to where you don't have to pay me for the main thing is measuring like if you have any kind of measuring tape uh, the the stuff you can buy on amazon for a dollar two that people use for clothes making like the soft measuring tape is the easiest but you can use any measuring tape and just put it on the side of your of your eye right like where the bone stops and then measure the distance 
to, I like books, like books are easier than screens. No flicker, no refresh, no backlight, just a white page with black text on it. Hold the book close enough to where the text is absolutely not blurred and then move it back slowly till the text changes at all. Like usually it's not blurred at starts, but it's like instead of being black, it starts to look like a little grayish or a little fuzzy or anything changes. That's where the refractive error starts. And you just measure that distance. There's a calculator on the website that converts that to diopters. You don't have to. You can just write down what that distance is. And the main thing that gets you into this whole thing is measure the distance after you spend three hours on Netflix and see that number go down. Because something happens in your brain that goes from this theoretical, this is interesting, to wow, this, this affected me when, you, when that distance changes. Measure the distance when you're in a, in a naturally lit room with full spectrum lighting. You can even, if you want to get crazy about it, you can measure the locks and see how bright the light is. Measure that distance where the blur starts on that same page. Then go in an artificially lit room with some narrow artificial UV spectrum that has the same locks and look at that centimeter distance and it'll be different, right? Once you start realizing how much your eyesight fluctuates, that gets you into this whole thing. That's why I'm doing the app because I realized where you got stuck and where people get stuck is measuring sounds. I don't have a measuring tape. And the temptation comes from you eat a pizza and have a Coke and then measure the distance right as your insulin is spiking and it's lower. And then you start realizing how all of this stuff plays together. Right. And once you know that distance, now you know, right, like it equates to X amount of diopters, right? Like you can see X amount of centimeters. That's the same as, say, for example, two diopters. So I need two diopter glasses to correct my eyesight. So you can go online and buy yourself a pair of minus 1.75 diopter glasses. And when you get those, just put those on and see how you see with those. It's that simple because the word prescription really irks me because it's not a prescription. It's just lobbying for a clear curve piece of plastic. Print out an eye chart, put it on the wall, see how your eyesight is with that minus 1.75, right? Like that, that awareness of you're not a victim of a thing and you don't need the optometrist to tell you what correction you need is one, incredibly liberating, and two, puts you in this place of where you feel like you're in charge and it's now an interesting project, right? Like whatever your correction is right now, if you go down by a quarter doctor and you look at the eye chart and see how your vision's affected by that. It becomes a thing you can't resist because tomorrow morning you're going to check that eye chart, right? And then you're going to check it after a night of drinking and go, ooh, that was not good. <laughs> and that, that is what gets you. People will make it that far in many cases. I, I want to say in most cases, but very frequently get back to 2020 eventually because that process is so engaging. And that reduction, like once you make the first reduction, you're like, I, I have control over this, right? This doesn't just go up. I don't just go to the optometrist. They don't just write $200 prescription that I then fill, right? I can actually get a lower one. The active focus thing is something that generally takes people a little bit of time to discover. Is entirely natural to our eyesight. Anybody who's never worn glasses has active focus. It's basically something is a little bit blurry at any given distance and you just blink at it and you will it to clear up. There's always that little bit of where your eye didn't focus correctly or there's a little bit of margin, like sandbagging, right? Like if you really need it to clear up without squinting, 
you can clear it up. And most people who've never worn glasses just instinctively do this and know how to do this. If you've worn super strong glasses that stunt that ability, you might have forgotten how to do it. But it's basically just you look at something that's too blurry to read and you blink at it and you're like, what, what does it say? And then it just clears up enough to read. That's, that's all active focus is. And that's that if you wear glasses that are strong enough to where you can recognize your friends and walk down the street and drive safely in California, I'm pretty sure that's 2040 eyesight. Right, so whenever whenever optometrists refuse to sell you whatever kind of glasses you want, the law mandates 2040. So when they say we can't, you can't use last year's prescription. If you can see 2040, yes, you can, and they're just trying to sell you stuff. Right, like this, the whole thing is kind of a rabbit hole, but it boils down to just buy glasses that let you see clearly enough without becoming a crutch to not make you do any effort. Right, so. And that's two pairs of glasses. That's one for close-up. If you, if you can see your computer screen fine without glasses, just always take them off. Never, ever, ever, ever wear distance glasses for close-up. If your glasses are over two doctors in general, you need something for close-up. That's usually a doctor and a half less. I have a whole free email series that also explains all this stuff for people who get lost in the details, can't write it down. So you have about a doctor and a half less for close-up. That gives you that computer screen distance with a little bit of challenge. So if you're sitting ergonomically comfortable, that distance should let you see the screen clearly. But if you move your hat back a little bit, it's just a little bit blurry. You blink at it, it clears up. That's enough to prevent a lot of the close-up strain. That's how you can get away with eight hours a day of screen time by wearing correction low enough and challenging your eyesight. And then when you go outside, you wear glasses that are strong enough to see, but not so strong that you don't have to make an effort. And not so strong that a bad day isn't clearly a bad day. That's, that's all the method is. That's why I joke about you don't need to pay me money. Because it is literally that simple. Two pairs of glasses that address your two main distances. And don't make them any stronger than they need to be. And challenge your eyesight. And if you do that correctly in a million little details that you may or may not need, you improve your eyesight by just under a doctor you. So for somebody like me with five doctors, it's about five years. But it's not five years of work. It's one set of habit changes, and then you forget about it, right? Like, I adopt one new hobby. Like, I kite surf, right? Like, that is my thing that takes up X amount of hours a day of focused distance vision. And then I have six plus hours of screen time that I break up in three-hour chunks, right? And my vision stays 20-20. And even if your vision is, even if I would have been at minus five, this set of habits of I'm wearing the right glasses for close-up, I have a distance hobby, I'm taking enough breaks, would increase, improve my eyesight by itself without me having to do exercises by just almost adopting you. When so I, you, spend about a, you spend about a month, a month or two, like getting into it, tinkering with it, figuring it out. And after that, it's just an autopilot process to where... Every three or four months, you buy a new pair of glasses that are lower than the last pair. Wow, that's cool. When it comes to the active focus, uh, it, it, when you're, you know, like I have something written on my wall, a reminder, well, it's not written on the wall, piece of paper taped to the wall. I'm not doing graffiti in my studio here. Uh, and like, so when I'm sitting right here, um, I can read it, but 
it's like double vision kind of blurry. So if I wanted to do practice active focus, I would get close enough to that piece of paper where it's totally clear, then back up a little bit where I have to kind of do that trick to make it clear and keep increasing that threshold of distance so that it remains clear as I back away. Is that... That's an interesting way to find it. But then as an ongoing habit, it is just a matter of the glasses you wear are never so strong that you can see everything perfectly. Got it. Like you go to Starbucks and it's kind of dark in there and the menu on the wall is just small enough to where you can't read every bit of it without blinking at it. The, the ideal thing is to where you make your glasses that, that amount of doctors to where you have to use active focus consistently, right? Like it's kind of something, it's a discovery process to where you don't want your glasses a week that you can't recognize people's facial expressions, but that license plate that's like at the end of the light up there is blurry and you just built that habit of going, what is that, a Z or an A? And you just blink at it. That ha- Making that habit a subconscious, almost subconscious habit is the stimulus that makes your eye go, whoops, I'm not quite right. I'm not quite right. And that ongoing stimulus habit is what improves your eyesight. Cool. So the finding it at first, finding it is a challenge, and then building a habit is a challenge. But once you have it, as long as you wear glasses that always keep you a little bit challenged, the rest just happens. And I'm assuming that the active focus practice that you're describing, that you habituate yourself to, can also be practiced without any glasses at all. Like my glasses, for example, are only necessary when something's pretty far away. So anything in my immediate surrounding is is legible and and clear. But I would just do that active focus habit, whether I'm wearing glasses or not, it's just a matter of like how far in the distance the thing is that I'm trying to focus. So if I go into a coffee shop and I'm like having a little hard time reading the menu rather than putting my glasses on to really just see if I can get my eyes to (laughs) comply with my demand of like, no, I'm going to read if that's a Frappuccino or a Cappuccino, (laughs) right? Is Is that the idea? That is exactly the idea. And that's that's all you need. It's a little more challenging when your eyesight is almost fine because then you're always at that threshold. And I have a few other tricks for that, but that's another longer story. For somebody with more doctors, it's really easy because they just keep reducing and they're always in a challenging spot. If your eyesight is good enough to where mostly you're fine, you kind of wiggle back and forth on that threshold and slowly you're improving. If you make this a consistent habit, a year from now, your overall vision will be better. But it's the good days, bad days thing. The good days, bad days are less noticeable in somebody with minus five. But if you're already almost fine, you only sometimes need glasses, it can be somewhat frustrating on a shorter timeline because it seems better. You're like, wow, it's, it's really better. And then there's like three months to where you're like, it's really not better. <laughs> where you kind of... But, but it does gradually improve as long as you build that consistent habit of, of challenge. And that's why glasses are also useful. Like I tell people not to never wear them because you want that reference clarity. You don't want to get used to the world being in a semi-blur. Sometimes you put those glasses on and that reminds your visual cortex, this is how clear things are, right? And then when you take them off, you have that, okay, this is not, not correct. Because sometimes people never wear glasses. They just get used to Frappuccino and Cappuccino looking the same. And then you don't get that stimulus. 
Right. I think you just described me because I'm so paranoid of wearing my glasses that I just accept that things are always kind of blurry, you know, when they're a certain distance away. And uh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. So, one thing you can do if you're paranoid is low light conditions, the refractive air is more noticeable. Movie, theater, nighttime walk, neon lights, all that stuff. For example, if you only wear your glasses at night and not necessarily all the time, then you have enough of a different environment to where it's not going to negatively affect your eyesight, but you're still going to appreciate more clarity. Cool. That's right? useful. Yeah. There's, there's two times uh, in which I will always have to wear my glasses or the experience is ruined and that's watching TV, which is in the room where I watch TV. It's probably 15 feet away. And I can see what's going on, but it's annoying because it's blurry. And this, and the other one would be going to the movies, which we don't do anymore now that our society's been transformed into a dystopian, totalitarian <laughs> nightmare. But um, if I go to the movies, the movie will completely suck if I don't have my glasses. I've made that mistake before. I sit down and I'm like, oh shit, you know, I forgot my glasses, and it's just like, okay, well, you're, you're gonna have to tell me what's going on because it's gonna be quite blurry. Um, so that's that's good to know. I can give myself a little bit of leeway there and not be so paranoid about wearing my glasses and perhaps do it um, when it's a low light situation. Yeah, and you can also do, and that's why that's how myopia turned from the simple set of it's super simple to fix your eyesight into a million details because there is so many scenarios. Because, for example, you can absolutely wear them at night because you want that clarity enough of the time to where you're you're almost subconsciously all always aware when things are too blurry. You want enough lens wear to where the, the blurriness isn't your default, right? Because then you're not, you're not trying to practice active focus. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I, got, I, I got one more question for you that I would be remiss to, to not ask. And that is, um, I want to go into my... <laughs> it's funny, this far away from my monitor, I'm doing some active focus because I'm looking at my Dropbox folder. And I'm like, medical number 10. Okay, I can see it. By the way, this is where some things are more challenging because, for example, if you're editing a podcast, I notice because I'm doing my own sometimes. Yeah. When you're that focused, you end up creep in because you're too focused on your work, right? And the reminding yourself to go, okay, I'm going to take, it's going to take me longer to see the timeline, but I'm going to move back. Like those little details make a difference over time. Cool. All right. So I'm going to uh, tell you what my latest... Um, and again, I think this was just on a bad day because it was... Well, actually, let me, let me tell you both of them. And, and I want to do this because there might be someone like me out there that doesn't understand diopters and what any of these goddamn numbers mean. When I first... you know, I was 48 years old or something the first time I had to go in and get glasses. I don't know the terminology or what anything means written on my prescription. But the first time I went, uh, it was... Distance right is 1.25, distance left 0.75. And then a year later, when I went back to the same optometrist, uh, the distance right was 1.25 and the distance left was 0.75. Oh, wait, am I looking at the same one? <laughs> Jesus Christ, hang on a second. I'm like, wait, those numbers were the same. No, no, no. Oh my God, you know what's fucking funny, dude? Well, we'll just go with that. But you know what I think I did? Oh, this is hilarious. I forgot I did this. 
and I hope no one from whatever regulatory agency ever listens to this, but because I didn't want stronger glasses the last time I got some new glasses made, I, I had my graphic designer Photoshop the date on my prescription to change it to the next <laughs> I didn't hear anything you just said. That. Hear that. People buy glasses online a lot and I get these comments often and nobody ever checks. But when they ask how to get a prescription, I'm always like, I don't know. Oh no. Yeah. Well, no, you know, I didn't really do that. I was making a joke. A, a good friend of mine heard about his cousin's girlfriend. There we go. That's, yeah. Uh, Somewhere in a country where glasses are not prescriptions, which those countries exist. So let's just go back to the, the right 1.25 and the left uh, 0.75. From your perspective, uh, I would think since you went down from a diopter of five to twenty twenty vision, that what I've got going here is absolutely fixable if I commit myself. Okay, the first thing there is um, there's something called that's how there's so many details in this. There's something called ocular dominance, where one of your eyes is stronger than the other, which is the case in every human ever, and it's part of how you apparently part of how you measure distance. Right, so one eye is stronger than the other. What optometrists, for some reason, don't get in their education is that is a natural thing, and it's not meant to be corrected differently. What you have there's a half diopter difference, right? Like 1.25 and 0.75. What you actually want is a pair of minus one diopter glasses. Forget one eye is strong and one eye is weaker, because what you're doing is if you're if you're Overcorrecting the weaker, quote unquote, weaker eye. It's not weaker, it's part of the system where one eye is stronger than the other. Then you're negating the natural system of how your visual cortex interprets a, a visual signal, right? So when you see that, whenever there's that small difference between the, between the two eyes, one of the things that happens is if your myopia gets higher, the distance increases. Like now your one eye is much, quote unquote, weaker than the other. Because the optometrist overcorrected the eye that is the non-dominant eye in this in this scenario. So 1.25 and 0.75 means you buy a pair of minus one doctor glasses. This is not prescription advice. Yeah. I'm assuming you're living in Costa Rica or somewhere where you can just go buy these. Well, right. I, yeah, I always shop for my glasses outside of the United States, yes. Yes, yeah. Whatever you do, whatever the rules are. Yeah. It's not that easy to switch if you're wearing these consistently. You can't, it, it'll feel weird. You're not going to like it. But if you almost never wear your glasses, the best thing to do is have some activity that's challenging without glasses, like watching a movie with subtitles for like 10, 15 minutes and trying to read it and becoming frustrated, then putting on the new minus ones. And your brain will be so happy about the correction that it's not going to remember that it used to be a different focal point. Cool. That's um, awesome. Uh, this but that's because you want your natural focal plane and the artificial one to be as close together as possible. Because it's confusing to your visual cortex to go, why is one eye all of a sudden stronger than the other one when you put on your glasses? So that's an extra step in making it harder to accept your natural vision when the glasses change the relative focal plane. Right? If you put on the minus one, it's just everything moved a little bit. Put on your current glasses, the left eye moves more than the right eye. And that makes your visual cortex unhappy because it doesn't naturally occur. And the feedback it's getting is something's wrong with the eyeballs. Right. So if you get anxiety and stuff like that from these focal plane changes, that's another thing that happens in some people. It's just your visual cortex, 
is the biggest part of your cortex goes, there's something wrong here when the relative focal planes keep changing. That's really interesting. Wow. Thank you for that information. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, and I, I found this to be a little confusing, and I think I might have mentioned this to you a couple of years ago, is that uh, this particular optometrist also prescribed some computer glasses. And those I have around somewhere, although I don't really use them, but they do make it... I notice if I wear the computer glasses, there's a little less strain from working you know, 18 inches away or however, I are from, however far I am from the uh, monitor typically. But those say uh, right plano and then left plus 0. 0.50. Wow. Interesting. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that makes no sense at all. Because that plus, so plus goes in the opposite direction. Plus is for farsighted people. And the plus should actually make it more difficult to read. It should be more blurry instead oh, of less blurry. Okay. So if you close, that, close the eye where the, the, the plano side is with those glasses on and then compare how you can read the screen with the plus lenses. About what age range are you? I'm 49. Because that's usually when people have presbyopia, like they have challenges reading up close. Like if things appear clear with that plus lens, that's a presbyopia symptom. Got it. And then I, and then I would definitely not wear those because that'll just make it worse. Okay, cool. Well, I think I lost them, so that's a because <laughs> I, you know, it was hard for me to habituate because I don't really need them, but it did seem to, uh, it did seem to like kind of bring things a little closer and magnify them, which made me be able to just kind of sit back a bit. But anyway, they're gone. That's very useful. Thank you for the, uh, thank you for the information. Um, I'm assuming I'm not the only one listening that doesn't know what any of those freaking numbers mean and. Has no point but easy to figure out. So for example, your distance, and I didn't mention this at all, is when you measure your distance, distance the, the centimeter distance of how far you can see clearly, and diopters is a direct conversion. It's just 100 divided by the centimeters equals diopters. That's it. Like I don't like math either, right? Like, but it, it, it's that simple. Like I have my phone. So say you can see 40 centimeters, so 100 divided by. 100 divided by 40 is what? 2 point. 100 divided by 40. 2.5. Right? So 2.5 diopters is the glasses you need if you can only see 40 centimeters. So if you're sitting in front of a book and you're measuring the distance and it's at 40 centimeters, it starts to be blurry, then you need minus 2.5 diopter glasses to have perfect vision. And the, the formula is just 100 divided by the distance. So diopters, diopters is nothing other than how far can I see before there's blur. Oh, cool. That's well, thanks for the education. <laughs> I should probably mention that way earlier because I know I can see your eyes going, oh, God, whatever, math. <laughs> I'm that way. But it's really just distance to blur. You can express it in centimeters. You can express it in diopters. It's 100 divided by the distance. That's it. Got it. Cool, man. Cool. Very good. Okay. So that uh, brings me to uh, the close here. And I want to know where people can find you know, your Facebook group, website, uh, when you anticipate this app for measuring your uh, distance site is going to come out. Give us any links, anything people can do. Um, I know you've got like that email series. I think I had last time I was uh, looking at your content was really great and informative and actually kind of helped me at least make some progress and learning about this stuff. So what can people do if they're like, cool, I have this, I want to fix it. So nmiopia.org 
is the website that has everything that you need. Um, the seven-day email guide, I like as a starting point. It's seven days because there's so much information there that it, it requires a little bit of spacing out. That's all you really need to get started. All the stuff we talked about here, close-up glasses, distance glasses, diopters, the conversion, how to measure is all in those seven days. So that seven-day guide is on every page of the site. You just put in your email. I'm not going to spam you afterwards. That's all you're getting. From there, there's a link to a YouTube channel, which has my cringy face on it, explaining a lot of these concepts in a lot of videos. Uh, our Facebook group that has 17,000 or so members right now and is very active. 12,000 or so members, according to the Facebook stats, are consistently there. There's a link to a forum. So if you don't like social media, we also have a forum that gets really nerdy. One guy bought the machine that measures your actual axial length. And for the last year, he's been measuring how long his eyeballs are and how much they're shortening. So the forum gets super nerdy if you want, if you want the real rabbit hole. Um, we're also finally making a wiki. So that's community source. So you don't have to necessarily read all my rant-filled website articles to get all the content that's coming out in the next few days. Um, all of the general social media and all the stuff that you need, meopia.org will take you to all of you. Awesome, man. All right, I've got one last question for you. And this will be uh, probably a bit of surprise, I hope. Uh, you've taught me in the audience a ton today. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life and your work that we might be able to go check out? Wow, that is a surprise. That is a surprise. <laughs> I, you know, I don't have a good answer for this because for one, I'm terrible with names. And for the other, I read a lot. Like on average, I'll read not lately, not lately since I've been stuck here, but two or three books a week is pretty common for me to just read stuff. Um, my favorite, I'm going to give you one, and this might sound a little stereotypical maybe for California, but Buddha. Because especially with these rabbit holes and especially with all that stuff, like just finding the inner peace to not care, understanding things. Realizing things without an emotional attachment is probably my biggest all around. How do I still enjoy life while living in, with this awareness of all the things that you're learning and that I'm learning and that we're around? So that's, as far as teachers go, that would probably be my one out of three pick. I don't really have two other ones because I have... Okay. I mean, that one's a big one, dude. So <laughs> that gives plenty. And it, sounds, and it just it may sound like, a, like one of my best friends here who is 23, but is older than me when it comes to like maturity. It's all Buddhist stuff. Every time I'm like, how do you come up with this? Thinking it is always Buddhist stuff. And it centers so much of my... The social media and the Instagram and being lost and stuff, going back to something that's been figured out so long ago that we need to get back to and away from the emotion of how many people liked my stuff. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's sage advice and um, that definitely qualifies for a great recommendation. And uh, with that, I will bid you farewell, my friend. And uh, I'm really, really pleased that we had the opportunity to finally get this podcast recorded. You've been in my email folder of like people to interview for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, finally I 
you know, the stars aligned and we're both motivated to get it done. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your uh, wisdom and expertise with us today. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. For sure, man. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Well, that was a lot of very useful information when it comes to restoring your vision, was it not? I promised and Jake delivered. Now, if you want the show notes and even links to the complete transcripts for every single episode, including this one, don't forget, all you have to do is go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com slash newsletter, or simply text the word lifestylist to the number 44222 on any US phone. That's all one word. Lifestylist to the number 44222. Okay, a little bit about next week's episode. It's called A Spiritual Awakening with the David Hawkins Map of Consciousness featuring Clayton Stedman. And uh, for those of you that have been listening to the show for a while, I constantly refer to the work of Dr. David R. Hawkins, one of my all-time, if not all-time, most influential spiritual teachers. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Hawkins created was this map of consciousness and the use of kinesiology to determine the level of consciousness or the truth or falsehood of different concepts, theories, teachings, etc. So next week's guest, Clayton, has spent years and years perfecting the art of this kinesiology method and the work of David Hawkins. So while David Hawkins has passed away and I obviously couldn't get him on the show, at least in this linear reality, I was able to get someone who's as much of a super fan and even more of an expert in all of Hawkins' work. So that's next week's episode. To make sure you don't miss that or any episode to follow, make it really easy on yourself. Just click subscribe on your podcast player and each episode of this show will be magically uploaded or rather downloaded. Which one is it? Uploaded or downloaded? Maybe both to your device or computer. Let's thank our sponsors because honestly, without them, this show would not be possible. I couldn't do it for free. I'd have to have a job somewhere. And God knows in today's job market, that could be difficult considering my limited skill set. So let's thank Blue Blocks to get yourself some amazing, stylish, very effective blue blocking eyewear. Go to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. Got a discount code there of 15%. And the code is lifestylist at blueblocks.com. Next, let's thank our friends over at Juve. I did a Juve session this morning, as I do 98% of the time. Amazing red light therapy with health benefits, too numerous to mention in this outro. But you can get yours over at juve.com slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com slash Luke. I literally could not live without red light therapy. It's the best ever. And you can find it at juve.com slash Luke. Last but certainly not least, everyone loves chocolate, especially Cacao Bliss from Mindful Health. You can find this amazing powdered elixir with tons of other fantastic herbs and adaptogens at earthechofoods.com slash Luke Story. That's earthechofoods.com slash Luke Story. The audience discount there is Luke 15. That gets you 15% off. So those are our three official sponsors of the show today. If all of those uh, links are too much for you to recall, remember you can always find them by clicking on the show notes in your podcast player or the show notes that get emailed to you if you sign up for my newsletter. You can also find all of these products at lukestory.com slash store. I've put together over the past five years a very well-organized and highly curated collection of all of my favorite health and wellness products. That's lukestory.com slash store. All right, folks, that's it. I'm going to let you off the hook here and we'll be tuning in 
next Tuesday with Clayton Stedman talking all about the work of Dr. David Hawkins. Be back in your ears then.